0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast, the ministry of New Life Presbyterian Church in Ithaca, New York. Today we have this week's sermon preached by Tim LaCroix, our senior pastor. Join us for worship each week at 10 o'clock at 950 Danby Road, Ithaca, New York. You can also visit us on our website, www.newlifeithaca.org. Now here's this week's sermon.
1: A reading of the Holy Gospel of St. Mark chapter 9 verses 2 through 9. Please stand if you are able. And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Glory to you, O Lord.
0: This week is uh, Valentine's Day, as many of you know. And I'm sure that uh, I know that Valentine's isn't for everyone uh not not the least of all, because not everyone has a significant other or or basically don 't like valentine 's day don 't like the commercialization of it uh etc etc but I was reading an article in the New York Times this week an opinion piece, and it the the writer of the article was saying we need more of valentine 's not less and in the in her article she she de- she remembered her childhood going to school and how they would all the kids would have valentines for everybody else in their class uh, my, my youngest daughter uh, lucy was doing that this week she's got uh, baby yoda valentines and she was uh, filling them out uh, and so you know basically every the way it is these days everybody in the class if you want to send valentines you have to send them to everybody i think they call them what do they call them? Friends something? Friendship friendship cards? Something like that. But you have to send one to everybody in the class so nobody feels left out. That's the way they do it these days. Uh, I will tell you a little bit about how it was done in my day uh, a little bit later in, in the sermon. But what the article of this article was saying was that when she was a child and she received one of these valentines, a, a note with a actual signature, maybe even a little message, it, it filled her with, with, with a feeling of self-worth, right? Her, she felt, uh, she, she had a sense of self and a sense of uh, value and belonging that someone would write her a valentine. And she r- looks back on that fondly as getting messages, handwritten notes from all of her classmates as being something very meaningful. And so what this person was saying was that we actually need more of this in our lives, not necessarily, you know, valentines from a, a, a lover or a, a someone that were were a significant other, but valentines of, from all kinds of people that would express affection and and appreciation and friendship. She was making the argument that basically we need to go back to snail mail, you know, uh, actually receiving something thoughtfully written with a physical. Uh, representation of a person in, in the form of their handwriting from a pen is deeply meaningful and it gives a person a sense of their own worth and their own value in someone else's eyes. So she was saying, we actually need more Valentines, not less. In the text today, we have a, a Valentine of sorts. We have a moment where a very personal message is given to someone who is deeply loved we have a moment where this message is is has uh, communicates deep meaning uh, to the person that receives it and gives them the gives them the the sustenance that this person needs in order to go through a very very trying time the text we have read this morning is from mark 9 verses two through nine it details the story of the transfiguration which is a very mysterious uh, event it's a it's an often uh i won't say misunderstood because i don't think oftentimes we even know what to do with this what do we do with this Uh, you may have heard that the transfiguration illustrates the divinity of christ and i guess it does that although I, i i guess it doesn't necessarily have to do that, but oftentimes it is said. But what is the purpose of this text in the story of Mark and Luke and Matthew who detail it? In the context of Mark, what we find is this transfiguration comes in the, the larger section of about three chapters that are leading up to the final week of Jesus's life. Chapter 11 of Mark is the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before the Friday when he was crucified. And these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, sort of serve as a prelude to that pivotal moment in Jesus' life. Three times in these three chapters, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. The first time happens in chapter 8. The the immediate passage right before the one we read today, the very last section of of chapter 8, Jesus foretells his death and resurrection. And right before that is when Peter confesses Jesus to be the Christ. This is sort of the pinnacle or the climax of Mark's gospel where Jesus says, who do they say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And so so this is the, the pinnacle not only of the gospel, but of Peter's career, uh, his confession of Jesus the Christ. And the very next section Peter falls from saying the most marvelous thing to the most idiotic thing he's ever said. When, when Jesus predicts uh, that he is going to die and rise again, Peter, full of himself, now pulls Jesus aside and says, No, 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 they, we can't do that. And Jesus goes from saying that he is uh, the pinnacle of the confession, and he's going to build the church on Peter, to saying, Get behind me, Satan. Almost in the next breath, Peter goes from the, the, the uh, rock of the church to Satan, um, this is why Peter is such an endearing figure. He says the, the most amazing things and the most idiotic things and sometimes in, in uh, consecutive breaths. Uh, Peter's a human, in other words. He's not perfect. Uh, it's sometimes hard to attain to Pauline ascendancy of, of action and belief and conviction. Most of us are Peters. Well, here's Peter uh, pulling, doing Peter things. But Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. And the very next thing that happens is the transfiguration. We also see in chapter 9 uh, that he, um, at the end of this chapter, beginning in verse 30, he predicts his death and resurrection. And then we see in chapter 10, for a third time, beginning in verse 32, he predicts his death and resurrection. This is the theme of these three chapters. Jesus is on a journey to the cross. So this situates the text that we have today. The transfiguration is set in the midst of of this journey to the cross. The 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 resurrection the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ are are at the center of everything that is being thought about, talked about in these three chapters. And so what we see is that the transfiguration then serves as a mountaintop moment for Christ and the disciples as they look toward the cross. I've got three points I want to pull out of the text today. Three points of, uh, that we see in chapter 9 here. First, is that we need our mountaintop moments. Second, is that we must come down from the mountain. We can't stay on the mountain. And third, as we come down from the mountain, we have a message that will sustain us. So first, we need our mountaintop moments. This is a mountaintop moment for Jesus. His glory is revealed. It says in the text that uh, they went up on a high mountain, and as he was on the high mountain, it says he was transfigured, which is it's just a word that means his, his figure was changed, changed to something else, transformed, could have been used as well. But the description of this transfiguration is that his clothes become white, brighter than any earthly person could bleach them. Uh some texts refer to this whiteness as like lightning its brightness. What's going on is that the veil is being pulled back and Jesus is being re- revealed in his full glory. For those who are fans of Lord of the Rings, you can envision Gandalf, you know, kind of revealing himself or Galadriel revealing herself. This is sort of Tolkien's picture of that. Jesus' fullness is revealed in an instant. The glory that he really possesses is revealed. And, and he is able to bask, and, and the disciples are able to bask in, in this glory. And then it says that there appealed to him two other mountaineers. There at the top of the mountain, uh, two other mountaineers are there, Moses and Elijah, two men who also climbed to the top of the mountain and communed with God. We, we read that Moses was spent 40 days at the top of Mount Sinai. Later in Elijah's career, he also spent 40 days on top of Mount Sinai. And so Jesus is conversing with these heroes of the faith, these great, these giants of the Old Testament. And, uh, and then they're having a conversation. We don't know the contents of their, their Alpine discourse, but it says that they were talking. Luke tells us that they were talking of his exodus, his coming exodus. The word exodus, obviously looking back toward the exodus out of Egypt, but also speaking of Christ's journey to the cross. So this is a mountaintop moment, appearing with Moses and Elijah, having his full glory revealed. It's a moment that will sustain him, and we need our mountaintop moments. We, need, we have events in our lives that sustain us. You know, I was trying to think of what a mountaintop moment would be for me. I asked the children to, for one of their mountaintop moments, and they had some good examples. Uh, but the first thing that I could think of, and I know it's a bit carnal, but I thought of a good meal, you know. A really good meal with a, a loved one and, or friends can be a kind of a mountaintop moment. It's something that you look forward to, and then afterwards you look back on fondly. In fact, this week uh, I had an instance to look forward to a mountaintop moment. Uh, Rachel and I have been trying to have a date for like, I feel like a couple of months, and uh, we finally were able to get a babysitter. We got uh, got in a reservation, and this Tuesday it's like I went to work, and I'm like, yes, I'm gonna have some steak this evening. It's going to be beautiful, uh, a beautiful, wonderful time. And then we realized that we got the dates mixed up. And it's actually this coming Tuesday. So uh, I, uh, fuller expectation will be, uh, will be. But this Tuesday, I'll be looking forward to that moment. And then you, you have the, the meal. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It tastes so good. And, uh, and it's kind of a mountaintop moment. It's something that you look fondly back on. It's something that sustains you. You know, I can't help but give a sports uh, analogy because today is the high holy day of our American culture. The Super Bowl is this evening. And for somebody, that's going to be a mountaintop moment this, this evening. Someone is going to stand upon the stage and hoist the trophy as the champion. And for, for any sp- anyone who's involved in any kind of sport, uh, striving for the championship is the goal. And people will put themselves through all sorts of torture in order to get to that mountaintop. You know, what, no matter what sport it is, people will train themselves and, and and put themselves through a lot of pain in order to try to achieve that. And if you do achieve it, it lasts. You know, the the glory of that, although sometimes it fades instantly. The ESPN's already putting out who's going to win next year, like feel like a, a second after it's over. But, but really, the, the, there is a lasting effect for those that can achieve that sort of greatness, whether it is on the sports field, as Paul talks about, an analogy of our Christian life to be one who strives for the prize, for the championship. It could be academic achievement. It could be achievement in business. It could be any sort of thing that we strive for. Those moments have a lasting effect. And so I think part of the point here is that we need those moments in our life. We need mountaintop moments to get us through the valley, through the hard times. And, and, and the fact that we have these mountaintop moments, whether it's a, a good meal or whether it's an achievement in our career or whatever uh, that we're trying to do, it's a picture of the reality, the heavenly reality that, that we have mountaintop moments that God gives to us. In fact, what it is a picture of is that every single week when we gather together with God's people and we, we pray and we are under the ministry of word and sacrament, that's a mountaintop moment for us. We're ascending to the mountain. And for the disciples, this is not only something to sustain Jesus, this is also something to sustain Peter, James, and John, because they are about to go through a valley as well. Not only the valley of the absence of their Lord, watching him die, wondering what in the world happened as they wait three days, but also the valley that will occur as they also face torture and death. Of these three, Peter, James, and John, John was the only one who lived to die of natural causes. Both Peter and James were martyred. And so they have a a vision to sustain them as well. And we need something to sustain us through our our lives. We need something to sustain us through the, the, the troubles and trials and also just the work that we do. And that's what Sunday is to be. That's what it's supposed to be. This morning I was reading an article uh, on a, on a website called Mere Orthodoxy. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a good website. They've got good articles. They uh, a few years ago they they published one of my little essays on prayer, uh, and I recommend it to you. But I was reading this essay this morning, and the th- the thesis was 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 that we are moving basically from what he called a Joseph moment in our culture to a Moses moment. And what he meant by that was. There are Joseph moments, and if you go back to the story of Joseph in the book of Gen- Joseph in the book of Genesis, you know he he had favor with the Egyptians uh, a, a lot. He had the authority of all the land of egypt he, he was able to amass a lot of favor and and wealth and bring the people of God down into egypt and there was a lot of success and a lot of intermingling. It was an inclusive time, a mixed multitude, if you will and uh, and and the, and the and the spirit of inclusion caused him to grow. That's a Joseph moment. but then out, as as time went on. Things shifted, of course, the Egyptians began to be wary of them and began to persecute them, and there needed to be a Moses moment, which is an Exodus moment, where Moses had to lead the people out of Egypt, which now had become their land of slavery, unto the holy mountain, where they would receive the word of God, which is uh, how to be holy before him. And so what the the author was arguing, and I'm still sitting with this uh, thesis, and uh, and, and kind of thinking about the implications of it. But what the ar- author was arguing is that the, the, the late 20th century was a Joseph moment for Christianity in America. You know, we had Billy Graham, the Crusades. There were many, uh, many organizations like Campus Crusade, uh, Young Life, and others where, where, the, where Christianity came to an ascendancy also politically and, and so forth. Um, big big evangelical churches came about what we now call big eva you know these very inclusive seeker sensitive uh, mega churches and 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 it was a it was a moment of inclusivity and growth and and some people have referred to this as the the uh, the the neutral moment the, the way that Christianity had favor with the culture uh and and the positive moment uh, there's all sorts of cultural analyses that you can read these days but what he was arguing is that we're now moving to a Moses kind of moment in our culture. Where the emphasis, uh, it, it, it doesn't change the emphasis on inclusivity. It obviously still exists. When Moses took the people of God out of Egypt, it was a mixed multitude. But why did the Egyptians come with Moses, the ones that came as he left? It was because they were leaving Egypt. Egypt. And so what this person was arguing is, is this next phase he thinks of the life of Christianity in our society will be more of one that emphasizes distinctions of Christianity and emphasizes holiness, emphasizes churchy stuff. In other words, we don't need less of Valentine's, we need more of it. And what does it mean to have more of Valentine's in this context? It means that we don't try to Uh, apologize for the things of Christianity that are Christian we really lean into them Uh, we lean into the Christian things the Christianity the churchy stuff that we uh, that we have as a part of our faith and if you've ever been a part of a evangelical church in the late 20th century even up until the present day there seems to be a lot of apologizing for what Christianity is you know and uh, and I and I participated in that as well This fits with a study that came out called The Great Dechurching, which talks about how there's many people who aren't going to church anymore, uh, and, and, and if they're going to be drawn back, they say it won't be drawn back by shallow Christianity, but what they want is a deep Christianity. They want something that actually looks Christian and feels Christian, that actually is distinct from the world around us. This sort of fits with this moment of transfiguration. We have a moment where the glory of Christ is revealed. And as we apply this to our church life, I think this moment on Sunday morning needs to be different than the rest of our moments. When we walk into a worship service, it needs to feel different. We need to have, we need to we need to realize that there's something different going on. There's something holy going on. There's something glorious going on where we are coming into contact with the Almighty. In other words, I think the days of the pastor uh, preaching in sandals and shorts are over. At least maybe they should be. There there needs to be some sort of a distinction, a separateness of the church in this this era that we live in. We need to have our mountaintop moments. We need to have moments where we are impacted by the otherworldliness of our faith, that we participate in his glory. And although we don't have a church with traditional architecture, I do think we can create that kind of a feeling with our liturgy and our music and our approach to the Lord's table. We need the mountaintop. Secondly, we do need the mountaintop. But we also need to come down from the mountain. This is what what Peter is sort of wrestling with. He obviously understands this is a great moment. This is a mountaintop moment. And his response, and I love how Mark, you know, Mark was written with the influence of Peter. You might might call this the gospel of Peter. So it has this self-deprecating nature to it. where, Where Mark says, you know, Peter said this, the other gospels don't remark because Peter didn't know what else to say like he didn't know what to say so he just said something it reminds me of Liz Lemon saying I want to go to there if you ever if you ever followed uh, 30 rock I want to go to there I just want to stay here let's build some tents and live that's a silly silly sort of thing to say but he just wants to stay he understands it's a mountaintop moment but the the point is that we can't stay We're, we can't stay in the mountaintop moment and, At least not yet. There will be a day when we can stay in the mountaintop moment. But as human beings, we are called to come down from the mountain, having received from the fullness of God from his hand, to come down from the mountain and do our work, to do the things that God has called us to do. We come down from the mountain with a message, with a vision to sustain us, and we go and do the work that we're called to do. We go through the valleys of our lives, and then we come back to the mountain to get refreshed and renewed. Our calling is to, to work. Our calling is to, to take the stuff of this world and make it, make it better, make it more glorious, to undo the curse as far as we are able. Work is not a result of the fall. We read in Genesis chapter 2 that, the, that Adam and Eve were to go to the Garden of Eden for their mountaintop moment, but then they were to go out and Eden was on a plateau on the top of a mountain, basically. They were to go out from Eden into the land surrounding and and do the work, have dominion over the things around them. We are told that the gold of Havilah was good. The raw materials of this universe are good and work is good. And we are called to go down from the mountain and do the work that God has prepared for us. And that's a part of how we live our lives. But we do need to go back up to the mountain and and receive refreshment and renewal and then leave the mountain and go out and do the things that God has called us to do. We are not able really to stay on the mountain. It's not good for us to stay on the mountain. This is essentially what addiction is, isn't it? Addictions are an attempt to stay on top of the mountain. They're like Peter saying, let's build some tents and stay here. We can deeply empathize with people who just want to stay in those moments But it's not good for us to do so. We are called to go down, and we are called to do our work. We're called to uh, pursue our callings as children of God. The third thing we see is that as we go down, we come with a message to sustain us. We come with a valentine, essentially. It says that after Peter said this, in verse 6, for he did not know what else to, to say. It says in verse 7, a, a cloud overshadowed them. This is not any cloud. This is the glory cloud. This is the, the pillar of fire uh, by night and the cloud by day that that, that signifies and represents the presence of God. The, the cloud that filled the temple is what is overshadowing them in this moment. The presence of the Almighty. And as this cloud overshadowed them, the glory of God is sort of pressing them down and and overwhelming them and as the glory cloud comes over them there is a voice that is spoken out of heaven and says this is my beloved son this is the father's valentine to his son this is the message that he gives to him i love you jesus needs a message to sustain him he comes down from the mountain, not only with this experience, but also with a message, with, his, with the word of God that affirms who he is. As Christ will go to the cross and the Father turns his face away and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This word, I love you, is what will sustain him all the way to the end. As Jesus Christ faced The the horror of the cross, not only the physical torture, but but suffering the wrath for all the sins of the world. This word that he is loved by his father will sustain him through it all. This is a message to sustain him. And this is a message that we also need to hear. You need to hear because this is not just given to Jesus. This is a message for the disciples. We know because it says, listen to him. It doesn't say, I hope people listen to you. This is a a, a statement that the apostles hear. Listen to him. This is a word spoken to them. And it's not only that Christ is beloved, but they are beloved as well. And we need to hear this. We need to hear of of the love of our Father for us. We need to hear every single week, at least, you are the beloved of the Father. In fact, when each of you comes for a communion this morning, I'm going to look you in the eye and say, you are the beloved. We need to hear this message over and over. This is a message to sustain us. This is this personal message from the creator of the universe that says, you, are, you have value, you have worth, because I love you. And then we see not only does he have a message of love, but also he comes down with a message of the word of God. It is said, listen to him. The apostles are not only given an affirmation of God's love for them, but they are also told, do whatever he says. This is essentially what we are called to do as Christians. We are called to listen to this Jesus and do what he says. If if there's anything distinctive about who we are as Christians is that we do this. We obey the words of Christ. What do we need in our life to get us through the times of of struggle, the times of the valley, the the valley of the shadow of death, through our loneliness, through our depression, through just our, our struggle and toil as we work? Because it's hard sometimes, even though we love what we do often. What will get us through? It's not only the father saying, I love you, but the word of God saying, obey this Christ, do what he says. This is what we lean on as believers is we we read this word and we're called to do what it says. And so this is the message that can sustain us through this life, that we not only have the proclamation of the love of the father, but we also have instruction on how to live. Listen to him. You know, when I was, uh, I told you before I was going to tell you about my experience with the Valentines. When I was, uh, when I was in elementary school, they didn't have a rule that you, you, you had to give to everybody, right? They didn't have this rule. And some of the older, older folks are, are nodding their heads. You just gave Valentines to the ones you wanted to. And, of course, some people got more and some people got less. Uh, I don't want to embellish this story. I don't remember on this particular occasion how many valentines I got, so I won't, I won't lie to you just to make the story better. But the thing, that's, the thing that I remember to this day is this one valentine that I got. And I, I got this valentine. It was at school. I was in fourth or fifth grade. I can't remember which. I think fourth. I got this valentine. It was from one of the popular girls in the class. She was, she was pretty. Uh, and I got this valentine from her. I'm like, excited, right, oh wow, that's great, I opened this valentine and it was curious because inside it said nothing but nothing by the front, nothing by the front, what, what does that mean, I had no idea what it meant, so I went up to her and said, what does this mean nothing by the front, and she said, oh, on, on the front it said something like be mine or love or something, she's like, oh, I don't mean what's on the front of that valentine, and I was crushed, you know, And I, I, you know, to this day, that's what I remember about school valentines is uh, that I got this one from somebody that uh, did not communicate a message of love and inclusion. You know, the reality is that we face messages like this all day long, right? We face messages that tell us lies, like you're not loved, you know, you nothing by the front, you know, nothing, this is not true. I don't mean this of you. Uh, we, we receive messages like this all day long that are meant to tear us down, to, to destroy us, to crush us. And, and what could lift us up from that but the true message? What could tell me that that message I received as a nine-year-old isn't true, but the love of my wife when I receive my valentine that I know she means it? She will never write nothing by the front because she means what it says. What can lift me out of this fear that I'm not loved, but the true love of someone? What can lift us out of the false message that you are not loved, but the true message that you are the beloved? As we hear God's word spoken to us, as we come to this table and receive the body and blood of Christ, this is what we need. We need the mountaintops. We need the message. And we need to take this out with us as we go to do the things that God has prepared for us to do. We need more Valentines, not less. We need to hear this message of love. We need to receive the sustaining food. And we need to be able to take down from this mountain so that we can do what God has called us to do. Let's pray
1: thank you for listening to this week's podcast please rate and review us on your podcast service and share with anyone who may be interested the intro and outro music
0: for the new life podcast is provided by sandra mccracken with her permission please
1: visit her website at sandramccracken.com we'll see you next week